This is episode 216 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Today I have Thomas Lurini on the show and Thomas is one interesting guy, both a real estate investor and developer in Canada and the US. So Thomas was raised in Toronto, Ontario, and then he married an American and moved to California. Now he invests on both sides of the border. He's doing uh, multifamilies in Cleveland. He's doing developments in Arizona and everything in between. And we really dug into both of those topics. So Cleveland's an interesting town. It's you know within driving distance from where I'm located here in Burlington, Ontario. And I've invested in Ohio before. It's a very working class state. I think there's a lot that that state has to offer. And I would certainly consider it again uh, under the right context. So Thomas and I dug into an eightplex deal that he's recently acquired there, uh, what the numbers look like and uh, what he's likely to get as a valuation when he's done. We also talked about this multi-phase Arizona development deal, which is going to be several hundred residential units with potential for further expansion. And uh, this is a topic I'm getting into more and more on this show. People who watched the early episodes know that we talked about, you know, burring duplexes and and uh, single family renos and things like that at a very small scale. Well, the natural progression of this show has been uh, for me, like, let's keep it growing. Let's keep it interesting. Keep diving into newer, bigger, better topics. And I, you know, there's nothing wrong with those small deals. But what I really love is that we get to expand what we talk about on this show. And this is a perfect example. Uh, we've been talking about development a lot. We're going to keep talking about that because there's massive profits to be made in development. And uh, for those of you who are new to real estate investing and you want those basic nuts and bolts, that's still super important. And it's great for a for a very solid foundation to, to build on. I highly recommend going right back to episode one, work your way through the first 10, 15 episodes, and then you'll have a solid foundation of the, the fundamentals. And then come on back and join us here. If you feel so inclined, check out every episode all the way through. I know many people who have done that and it's uh, pretty incredible to see the things that they know and understand about real estate investing. So uh, with that said, if you're enjoying this show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. And if you're a video uh, viewer, please hit the like, subscribe and notification bell and uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. It'd be greatly appreciated and it helps that algorithm get the show out to more people. So with that said, let's go ahead and jump into the episode with Thomas Lurini. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Thomas Lurini on the show again after much technical difficulty and uh, <laughs> and uh, two years since your last podcast episode. So thanks for doing this again. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Andrew. All right. So Thomas, I know we, we got a few minutes into the last one and then realized we were recording MIDI somehow and uh, <laughs> we're back on track now. But uh, for those who haven't seen your previous episode, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, obviously, you're U.S. based, which is one of the cool things. But uh, give me the story. Yeah, so born and raised in Toronto. Uh, background mechanical engineering. I worked for a, a number of manufacturing companies and ended up opening up my own machining company back in 2007. Did mm -hmm. that for a number of years. Started buying real estate on the side. Uh, initially, Hamilton was my my main focus. Uh, and it wasn't any elaborate strategy. It was buy and hold. Mm -hmm. And I uh, did that. And... Uh, my wife's American, so at some point we uh, we made the decision to move to the U.S. And at that point is when I sold the business and we transferred to the U.S. And uh, basically kind of went full-time into real estate at that time. You got your license down there? Correct. Now, were you, investing, um, were you investing in Canada from California when you moved? Yes. So, I mean, moving to the U.S. back then, this is almost 10 years ago, I mean, I knew nobody besides my wife's family. So I had no contacts, I had no credit, I had no, no, nothing. So at, at that time, I got my license, and because I had a, porf a relatively, you know, you know, small portfolio here in Canada, but I figured, well, I've been doing it now, maybe I can continue to do a long distance, mm -hmm. and uh, that became successful because a number of people knew I was in real estate and wanted to start partnering with me. So it, it worked out great where they would qualify for the mortgages, I would source the deal and, and mm -hmm. uh, put things together. So I did uh, quite a number of JVs uh, from long distance. And then eventually, you know, I started investing in the U.S. as well. 
And That's, now yeah. you're, you're talking about, so you're far away. You're doing arranging deals back home using investors from back home, yes. but you're the guy that's far away. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you figure things out, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I mean, I don't have to physically go to the properties. That's the one mm -hmm. kind of limiting belief. I think a lot of us have, it's like, I need to go and touch the, the asset, the building. I need to go and yeah. walk through it. But if you've got a relatively good team, mm -hmm. you have inspections, appraisals and contracts to go through. Um, and maybe if you want to send someone that you can trust it as well, kind of second set of eyes, I mean, that can be, that can work and it allows you to kind of like move quickly. Yeah. The key thing is like a trusted set of eyes, somebody that, you know, is looking out for your interests and that doesn't come overnight, but fortunately your roots were here, right? Yes. So just yes. because you moved didn't mean you had to start from scratch. I mean, eventually you did sort of start from scratch in your area too, right? True. And a lot of people I JV with, they were kind of my second set of eyes. They mm -hmm. would walk through the building and say, okay, yeah, we like it. You know, this is what we saw and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I did that for a number of years. And then eventually, you know, when I was a little more integrated into the U.S. Uh, is when I started purchasing properties um, on that side of the border. But going yeah. down today, uh, I do invest on both sides of the border, but really much more focused in the U.S. Yeah, and I... You know, I've had this conversation with a few people. I mean, I'm always open to a deal in Canada. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of my long-term focus, far more appealing to me to grow a portfolio in the U.S. than Canada. And there's just so many reasons. And I was wondering if you can give some of your reasons. 100%. I mean, I talk about the opportunities, the size of the U.S. You have a population 10 times the size of Canada. You've got the economics. You've got opportunities. You've got affordability of the, um, you know, the financing. There's so many things to, to factor in, but really my top reasons would be landlord-friendly states mm -hmm. that, you know, being coming from Ontario, which yeah. you don't really have, uh, is a huge thing. There's several markets across the, across the U.S. who are landlord-friendly. So you as the landlord, as the owner, have much more control of yeah. your assets. Yeah, and it's more than just the landlord-friendly. Um, well, I mean, we're the opposite of landlord-friendly, obviously, in Ontario. It's, it's almost like a sentiment among people, too. There's that socialist mentality where people really don't like landlords. Yeah. And, you know, the landlord's the enemy and, oh, we won't pay that last month's rent. Or, you know, it's usually, like, stiff you with utility bills or whatever. Like, you know, I had my last set of tenants left and did that $800 in water bills just out there. All of a sudden, they don't respond to their phone calls anymore. So. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's a mentality. And I think that down in, in the U.S., depending on which state, obviously there's going to be areas, but they just you know they don't have that necessarily not the same way um it's Correct. still there I, you made a good point socialistic i mean yeah. environment which is canada versus more of a you know capitalistic yeah. in the u.s i mean state dependent state dependent but i mean, even I mean california state, even new york state and california I, I would say are more capitalist friendly uh except for like the cities than I mean, than canada in general yes i mean i'm living in california i'm in orange county i mean you know even within the state, like LA to Orange County, a significant difference on kind of mm. political environment, that sort yeah. of thing. But um, I think just more of a business mentality and business kind of like um, support and the system kind of like encouraging people to go in business in the US mm -hmm. versus in Canada. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, this is an interesting uh, kind of thing to consider, like California, similar to Ontario, landlord, you know, I mean, uh, tenant friendly, you know, mm -hmm. it's called rent control, all that good stuff. The prices of properties skyrocket. Uh, the cost of rent skyrocket. Other parts of the other country, Texas, Florida, um, uh, the mid, the Midwest, Ohio's and so forth, much more like tapered down the price points, yeah. you know, like, so it just, it, it goes to show you yeah. that rent control in my opinion doesn't really work it's an inverse effect yeah. yeah like the more rent control you have the less affordable housing will be right it, it just it always backfires and i've had multiple examples of people come on this show and like go through examples of that so yeah, yeah. uh yes yeah, it's, it's just uh it's the way government intervention works unfortunately mm -hmm. um so there are some states that are very uh friendly to landlords what are some of your favorites so my and i i mean there's a number of states my top three states are ohio um, Arizona and, and surprisingly enough, California, because that's my market. Yeah. So I, I know yeah. I, there's one thing to say, um, you know, what I would recommend people, mm -hmm. but for me personally, it works well, especially if you're doing new construction where we can set the rent. And oh, so there's no rent control in no the new rent construction. control for new construction. No. Similar in Ontario too. Right. So, mm -hmm. and then Ohio, just for the price points, the solid boots in the ground team I have, the opportunity, 
Mm-hmm. For instance, Cleveland is number two over the past 12 months for the most rent increase in the country after North Carolina, uh, Charlotte. So there's a lot yeah. of good stuff in and around Ohio. And Cleveland's super affordable. Are, Very affordable. Are you, are you that bold to invest in Cleveland? I've been doing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you just gotta yeah. know the areas and stuff, right? <laughs> I've had good, I've had good success. I've had one not good, good, you know, not good deal go through. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, in any market, you know, you just gotta yeah. know what you're getting into. Like, what's the price point that you're getting into in in Cleveland? On oh, Aplex for four fifty. Aplex. Oh, I think you were telling us yeah. about this one. Aplex <laughs> for four fifty. So you're you're just over like you're like sixty thousand a unit, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I just just under actually about forty uh, fifty seven. 57k yeah. per door yeah and rents going in are like 650 700 so yeah. it exceeds 1% rule but you know the rents should probably be for one bedrooms uh in and around 850 to 900 okay so you're going to be probably like what 1.3 1.4% of your acquisition cost with rents yeah and once you get things up correct up to market yeah and what's ohio like as far as rent increases you can just adjust it to whatever you it's want it's beautiful yeah just wait, wait, wait if you want. Actually, on the leases that we inherited, the the current, the previous landlord had put in there. Upon a sale, yeah. the new landlord could evict with a, just a two two month notice, so sixty oh, okay. day notice. So even if they have a yeah. lease for like another eight months, we can just serve notice that you're out in sixty days if we wanted to. Wow. Yeah. So it's probably not your goal. Uh, no, we're not looking to vacate the entire building. Yeah. We can identify a couple units, but we do want to turn over the building. Mm-hmm. It's a burr, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a small deal. I'm I'm. In much larger deals these days, but it just, you know, I look for opportunities. I had some Canadian partners that wanted to do a smaller deal. They didn't want to partner into a large deal and kind of have a minute share. Mm-hmm. They'd rather get into, you know, a smaller deal, but have a bigger chunk of the pie. And I was like, fine. So I just yeah. kept looking for a deal. This one came up, it worked out. And I ran a numbers like on yeah. a refi at a nine cap, it should be around 670. 670 would be your yeah. value. Yeah. And would, would appraisers support a nine cap there? Will lenders? I mean, we were went into it at a six and a half cap. And, um, you know, the appraisal came actually higher, a little higher yeah. than what we are actually acquired at. And are you close to, they have that big hospital there, right? Yeah, yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic. Clinic. Yeah. Um, we're a little bit more in the suburbs. Suburbs. We're like okay. 20 minutes out. Twenty minutes. Yeah, and I think that like a lot of investors that, that target some of those not generally considered great cities like their suburbs because the suburbs are kind of where people spread to right not necessarily is that generally your approach you you go to the suburbs? i mean you know what it kind of reminds me of hamilton you know hamilton yeah. i started investing like over 10 years ago i mean yeah. growing up in a gta i visited hamilton probably twice in my life mm-hmm. and at that time there were some really rough areas but yeah. there were still some pockets which were nice and like i have a property right off of lock street mm-hmm. even back then it was a nice area and even now it's just really changed yeah. and a lot more expansion that sort of thing um, so I would say Cleveland and many cities across the U.S. You just gotta know which pockets to yeah. consider and which which ones you don't. And one thing in the U.S., the population size they have, there are definitely areas like D areas that we don't really have in Canada. Yeah, the areas can be a little bit worse. Yes. Although I think Hamilton and Brantford have challenged some of those American areas <laughs> at some points in time. Um, right. Not not in general, but uh, yeah, you just I, I the thing I, I've noticed about the U.S. is just. You can make the, a mistake of buying on the wrong side of the street. You can buy two streets over, and that's drastically different. Hundred percent. That's the thing. Like we don't see that as much here, where two streets makes a big difference. Yeah, and that's why your boots in the ground <clears throat> really makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, so if it's a property manager, your realtor, um, if it's your appraisal and, 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 and inspections that go through, I mean, there's a lot of that elements that we kind of that help mm-hmm. formulate the decision to move forward or not. Yeah. So you got good boots on the ground there yeah. in Cleveland. I mean, yep. that's for people around here, like, crap, you could even go look at your property. What's Cleveland away from here? Well, five hours from here. Five driving. hours from here? Yeah, four and a half, five hours. Yeah, I used to do the drive to Youngstown, which yeah. would stop before I got to Cleveland and then go south. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've driven to Cleveland plenty of times. I was actually contemplating going this this trip. Yeah, just but, driving down to yeah. check things out. Too bad they don't have a little hoverboat service. Uh, it's directly across. across from London, right across yeah. the, the, the Great Lake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd be like 50 kilometers away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I love the idea of that. And um, it's definitely something I would take a look at. I mean, it's just if you're going to do something like that, for me, it's got to be a big play. It's, yes. You know, I, I want something where I can grow in that market or, you know, a, a clear angle for growth. I, I like the idea of the price points you're buying. I mean, I is that, of, is a that a standard of, price point? Like, I have a suit of mine that's under contract uh, for 25 units for 1.4. 25 
25 units for 1.4. Yeah. yeah, all three bedroom units. All right, let's break down some numbers here. One, four. And just open escrow, so there's potentially some room to yeah. bring it down. So 56, so you're in between 55 and 60,000 a unit yeah. there. Is that pretty standard? Yeah, and that, those are three bedroom units. Yeah, three bedroom units. Oh, yeah. well. So, so it's, a big, it's a big building. And as far as a type of tenant you're getting there compared to, say, if you were to do the same thing in Hamilton, how does it compare? Yeah, I mean... Number one, the price point, the affordability, the rent, average rents for a three bedroom, probably like 11, 1200 max. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because you can go buy a single family home for 120,000. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one thing you have to be really understanding your market. You know, what are, what are the rent limits you can, you can, yeah. you can charge these people? You know, for a one bedroom, you're probably be six, seven, eight hundred dollars. For a two bedroom, you're probably be 900 to 1000. And then for a three bedroom, probably 1200. You're pushing mm -hmm. your limit. Because yeah. once you're at that point, and, you know, people are going to want to say, well, I'll just go and buy a house. I'll go rent out a single family house. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I mean, I had my first, my very first property in in, uh, in Cleveland. I purchased a single family, three, two for uh, $80,000 and I rented for $1,000 a month. Okay. So that three bedroom detached home for a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound that insane, but I guess, yeah, if you compare that to now, like a few years back in Ontario, you could find some examples of that, but not potentially. Yeah. Not anytime recently. <laughs> Maybe Windsor. I remember yeah. back in the day, looking at Windsor, like 2016, 17. Yeah. You, you might've found that. You might've found like sub hundred grand single family homes, but yeah. now it's like, they're like five times higher. Yeah. So what, what kind of cash flow? So say the eight plex, um, what kind of cash flow do you think you'd be at? Like, will you, will you complete a perfect burr? Uh, based on the, my calculations, you know, if we don't go over budget on the rentals, that sort of thing, and we hit the market, the, the metrics, and we're conservative at a nine cap, which most likely it'll praise maybe in the seven half. Oh, wow. Eight. Um, but at a nine cap, we should be able to borrow our capital. Uh, in terms of rent, so what we did was we went in with a bridge loan. So higher rate, one year bridge. Just okay. To go in there. So, so basically, no it's penalty. private money, or is it institutional? No, I mean it's institutional, but okay. it's a bridge, okay. and uh, it's a it's a firm out of California, actually. All right. And they do this type of financing because I could have locked it in at an eight at an eight rate for thirty years, yeah. but then there's prepayment penalties over the first five years. Yeah, so yeah. Our, that's our goal right. is to kind of burr this thing, so we went in with the bridge. So you want to take take yeah. that uh, that one year term, correct? Yeah. So that's so that's sort of what they refer to a one year mortgage as kind yes. of a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and then, then you, uh, at that point, if we refi to eight and a half percent, we should be able to pull our, all our equity. Well, with the recent uh, <laughs> the recent uh, <laughs> developments, maybe you won't be at eight and a half percent. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, between now and the next eleven months, we'll see what happens. You know, it's yeah. wild just to kind of see in the last what week with these three BUS well, banks. Yeah, it started on Friday, so I mean, this is going to come out a few weeks later. So, right. um, but. Yeah, all of a sudden we went from we didn't have an increase to thinking we might have more increases later in the year or might just stay steady. And now a lot of people are pricing in right decreases. I don't know if that's going to happen. But one thing they don't have direct control over is the bond rates, the mm -hmm. bond yields. So if those bond yields stay down because of a perceived banking crisis, then that means fixed rates hypothetically should come on down. Right. Maybe maybe that deal just got more profitable. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. And that's why you have to always run your numbers conservatively. Yeah. And at the end of the day, even with my partners and stuff, yeah. I'm like, we're going to aim for a perfect burr, but anticipate we don't. Are we okay with that? But eight and a half, like who are you going to for an eight and a half? Is that the California firm still? No. Um, so a broker basically shopped it and we've got a few people in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. We got a couple quotes. These are basically private lenders. Yeah. They'll do a 30-year. Yes. Yeah, 30-year amortized fixed. Yeah. Yeah, and the I one thing about the U.S., you know, yeah. you're familiar with it. I mean, it's game on when it comes to finance. There's so many. There's of them. so many. Like to so get many. to get something in in the like under ten, you know, in that seven, eight, nine, ten range. Um, there's so many lenders that'll do that, yeah. even for a Canadian. Like, yeah. I don't think they'd look too differently at me if I showed experience in the U.S. Okay, yeah. you got a, you got an LP or you got an LLC. Okay. Yes. And we'll secure it. You'll personally guarantee it. So yep. you, it is recourse or is non-recourse? This is a recourse. Usually yeah. non-recourse non happens over a million bucks. It's a little larger assets. Yeah, yeah. So once you get into uh, the larger, yeah, over a million bucks, yeah. and then you can go with uh, like a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, like an agency Correct. loan, right? Agency, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then I've, I've had broker conversations where 
the guys the guy told me that they'll basically treat you just like a canadian would be treated just like an american in that regard yeah, they don't at care point. at that point they're just looking at the building yeah but they definitely want to see a track record they want to see trying to go on your first deal into that it's yeah be difficult yeah yeah or you bring somebody in as a sponsor u.s partner or yeah something. u.s yeah. partner or something yep yeah and that's something there's certain lingo that as I do more business in the U.S., I see it's very distinctly different than yes. the lingo we use here. Yes. But a lot of it means means similar right. stuff. Yeah. Right. And then when you break it all down, it's a very similar process uh, that they use down there. Yep. So it sounds like Cleveland's a good bet. I, I mean, there's Cincinnati. I mean, Ohio's a state. There are other markets, not just Cleveland. Yeah, I, I, I feel look, like Cincinnati, Cincinnati has a better Columbus. reputation as a city. Yeah. Uh, doesn't, doesn't make it that much better. I've driven through. Uh, but uh, do you do you like that town? Is it? Do you invest in the actual core? Do you invest in the suburbs? Again, for me, yeah. I look at the opportunity. Yeah. So wherever. So the opportunity sometimes is. it's wherever yeah. the opportunity comes about. Uh, sometimes you negotiate some great terms. Yeah. And also, if I have got some decent boots in the ground, some resources to help me. Yeah. I mean, that can help dictate. So I'm in a deal right now uh, in Tucson, Arizona, uh, and this will be my first project. But, you know, we went into this because the opportunity presented itself to us through our network. And you're like, wow, yeah. let's look, a, let's take a closer look. And we yeah. ended up buying this piece of land, 32 acres, right by the airport. Uh, this is going back about three years ago for about $2 million. Is this the one that's uh, like a five-phase five yeah, development? Three-phase, yes. Three-phase? Yeah, three-phase development. So, again, like it wasn't on my initial radar. Mm-hmm. I was actually looking more in Phoenix. And I got to Phoenix yeah. twice right around that um, when, you know, uh, when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at opportunities, making offers. But then, boom, this opportunity came up. And we're like, all right, let's yeah. kind of shift our focus. Is this your first crack at um, larger development? No, because in California, my father was a builder. So okay. I've been involved, you know, basically I worked with him for about five years. When I initially moved to oh, okay. California. So it really got So real estate's in the family then. Yes. So that's another thing. Strategic partnerships and leveraging the mm-hmm. people or, or connections you have. You know, you don't have to do everything. That's the beauty about doing larger mm-hmm. and larger deals. Oh, I'm all for it. I think I think um, large is potentially good for the not the now money, but maybe yeah. the long term money. Yes. You know, the large stuff like you Absolutely. just get that stuff in the pipeline and just keep keep on yeah. moving through what you're doing for the short term stuff. Too. It takes time. Yeah, you know, like it's taken us, you know, almost three years to develop it. So you're just in the soft process, haven't broken ground, and it's been we haven't years. broken ground. So yeah. we're looking to break ground um, going into Q2 of this year. Uh, we're just kind of finalizing a few things and just raising the last bit of capital. Um, but we own the land free and clear. We've done the entitlement on the first phase. We've raised the land value considerably, yeah. probably maybe more than three times. That's interesting. You got entitlement on the first phase, but not the the second. Yeah, mainly because we didn't have to go through a zoning change. Oh, so, so this, part of it needed to be rezoned, but not yeah, all of the it. The second phase, yeah. where we're planning to potentially um, build another six hundred units, mm-hmm. that needs to go through a zoning change. And have uh, have you spoken with the municipality? And did yeah. they seem agreeable to it? They seem agreeable to it. They understand. Yeah. And you know, the first phase being residential, close, you know, uh, yeah. gated community, all the amenities. Uh, yeah. We have a, a third component, which is the commercial and plaza center. Yeah. Um, so this back area, which was, uh, I believe, is zoned uh, more of an industrial warehouse, uh, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense anymore. So again, that's what we're you know our propo- we're proposing and pushing for. So it may take another couple of years, which would yeah. be fine because but your project doesn't rely on that one getting approved. No, like you don't need that. But no, that's, that's gravy if it happens. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like we've we've got significant lift on the valuation yeah. just on this first phase. So if we just stop in the first phase, it's still yeah, worth it. It's still a great deal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about how you would structure a deal like that. Like, what's the total value of say phase one, the one that you're sort of guaranteed that's you've got an right. approval for, you've got entitlement. So phase one of this Tucson deal is 216 units. 216 units. So okay. based on our valuation at a five cap for a brand new build. Uh, we're anticipating completion in about two years. Mm-hmm. The valuation is around $60 million. 60, okay. And what's it gonna, what's your all in to get you there? Uh, we're looking at just over 40 million. 40 million, so, so potentially 20 million left in this deal. Correct, so okay. that's what we're anticipating be able to refinance the capital out no. um, uh, and be able to pay off the initial debt. Yeah, how much, well, how much did you have to raise uh, from, like, like, do you have equity investors on this? So currently we we don't. It's just there's just three of us, um, okay. and we own the land free and clear. Okay, uh, which we paid about about two million dollars for. 
Now we've put in you know all the resources, engineering to do. So you've paid everything out of pocket so yeah, far. Yeah, exactly. Sounds expensive. Yeah, I mean we're probably in it for about three hundred grand or yeah. so. Um, so now we're at a position where we're, we're very close to pulling permits and we're saying, all right, uh, the construction loan is around 32 million or so. Mm -hmm. So the bank's going to want some liquidity. And, we're going to need you know, to see you come in with the difference. Yeah. About, well, we're putting the land free mm -hmm. and clear. So that's based our down payment, but uh, we still want some liquidity, like reserves. Yeah. And what we're understanding is about 10%. So we're going to want to see about $3 million. Okay. So right now, because we're spreading about three, four other projects, you know, we're looking to raise some money to bring in some of that liquidity that the bank requires. Yeah. So that's why right now I'm speaking to a couple of investors and they're just kind of running through it. And hopefully in the next like, you know, month, month and a half, really May is when we really want to be able to, yeah. uh, to have everything dialed in. So you still got to raise 3 million, basically. 2 million. 2 million? Yeah. 2 million. And yeah. when you do that, are you, are you looking at that as like you're going to borrow that as debt or will you no will you i'll offer equity, equity. Piece? yeah so what i'm looking at is a strategic yeah. partner strategic so you yeah. want somebody who can guarantee the loan to then um that's not necessarily the requirement but strategic yeah. meaning we could potentially, yeah. potentially do more and more business together oh yeah for instead sure instead of just raising the money through like 10 random investors yeah. putting like you know 150 grand mm -hmm. each or something more like a group or individual who it's like i mean this is yeah. they're, they're they're interested because we especially with a second phase and that's mm -hmm. kind of like uh, an enticing element for them to consider. And then we've got other projects, even in California, that you know are coming up. Mm -hmm. We've got under contract and so forth. We want to be developing. Our goal is to build ten thousand units over the next ten years. Build new and keep. Build new and keep. Build and we create this model where it's a simplified design, slab on grade, two to three stories, nothing complex, mm -hmm. no elevators, no underground parking, um, in and around you know California in our market. We, we we do like Arizona, and uh, we may consider some other markets, but right mm -hmm. now, those are two markets we really want to target. And uh, so, again, that strategic partner would help to kind of like, you know, fast track things. Yeah, I mean, and I think about that too, and uh, like, I think a lot of investors, maybe, maybe I'm wrong to say that, but I think that way too. Like, I'd love just... You know, if I'm going to bring somebody in as a partner, I want to, I want to do a lot of deals with them. Right. I don't want to do just one. Yeah. Like, and if you raise from smaller investors, don't get me wrong, that could be great. But I think you just you bust the top right off of your growth potential when you have somebody with deep pockets and limited time or experience in this field, and they want somebody that they can trust that they can work with. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, listen, I love. I've done several JVs with people mm -hmm. who've got like a hundred grand or something, right? It's yeah. great to work with them and see that they're they're excited and they're yeah. participating. They're in a deal that they never thought they could be yeah. in. Some, but knowing the next one, most likely yeah. not be participating, right? So then you're like, all right, then I have to go look for the next person. Yeah, the next and you person. keep have to cycling them in. Right. Some of them might carry over, and they'll and carry over. But then in between, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. You want to do other deals, you're going to have to look for a new money. Type might, of thing, yeah, right? they might. So, yeah, that's definitely something to consider. But you, you brought up something that I wanted to touch on. You said your total soft uh, costs are somewhere around 300 grand getting through that process. It wouldn't have been that much different if you were only building 50 units. It probably still would have been 300, right? right. So, this is where you get some economies of scale going into the yes. bigger builds and for your time, like the process, you're still going through the site plan process one time, like you're going through the entire entitlement process once. So why not do it for a big deal? Yeah. And, you know, 100%. just think bigger, right? I think a lot of people who've come on this show, like there are exceptions, don't get me wrong. There's some big thinkers such as yourself. And then there are others who are putting in the same amount of work and not getting as much. And I think the lesson that we can take from today is, Think bigger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. constantly pushing ourselves yeah. past what we think we are capable of, you know, yeah. outside of our comfort zone, constantly like, yeah. you know, exploring that because you're right. We get comfortable doing like aplex and the next aplex and then yeah. duplex and then fiveplex and then, oh, you did 20plex. Okay, great. Yeah. But then what about like, what about 200? Whoa, you know, that, that's for somebody else, right? Type yeah. Thing, right. But why not explore it? You know, and maybe it's partnering up the right individuals. You know, and then kind of get yeah. your feet wet and say, okay, you know what? Mm -hmm. The time, the trade-off. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've seen it on my first few deals with like a single family or duplex. The amount of time and energy it takes to close a deal, financing, all that good stuff. I mean, it's virtually similar to like eight units, virtually similar to like a 20 mm -hmm. unit type of thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, once you take the next step, yes, there's potentially more work involved. But if you're bringing in other people, your own personal time and effort may not defer that much. Mm -hmm. And you're right, in terms of like your overall portfolio and game plan, maybe you have a couple of these longer term, mm -hmm. bigger projects, you know, where you've got, 
you're leveraging other people, either your resources, your partners, or or yeah. third party, you know, uh, vendors, or, or uh, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, you want to have uh, have a picture of it, like how you're going to do all that. One of the things I thought was cool from the mastermind is Glenn talking about wanting you want to have now money, medium term money, and long term money. Yes. And uh, for me, I think I was a long time. I was the guy that didn't worry too much about the now money. I'm like, I just want to put some stuff that's like long term gain. And it's it really comes down to the proper strategy that includes all of it. Yes. And uh, yeah, that's a really cool project. Tell me about the the partners, like your your key three partners there that you're like you're one of them, and then you have two yeah. others. So my my father in law. Okay, so he's uh, on it. Yeah, he's on it, and it was interesting because we got into this deal through his family. So extended family, they actually own this piece of land for like over ten years, mm-hmm. and they were gonna they were in some kind of dispute, and then all of a sudden he came along to kind of see if he can help. And he ends up, end up saying, well, maybe it's best I just buy it off of you guys. And that's what he ended mm-hmm. up doing. Um, so it's just him and one other individual, someone else that he's partnered with, with for many years and other deals. Okay. So, you know, we're in this deal right now and uh, we're looking to bring in, you know, again, someone in for the the raise right now is uh, potentially 20% equity. We're looking to sell. Okay. But it could yeah. be sizable. I give this yeah. example of someone, a 20% stake for $2 million it's $4 million. Uh, for a deal of this size. Yeah. I mean, it's massive. In comparison, you raise $2 million usually for like a five, $6 million asset. Mm-hmm. So potentially the same amount of raise for a deal, like, you know, five, six times larger. So would you be giving, so if they invest the $2 million, they get the $2 million back at the end and then yeah. retain, yeah. The, retain the retain They're all 20%. the way through for this yeah. first phase. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be into it. Um, Let me know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just got to find that two million dollars. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Like right now, we're we're kind of, you know, in the raise mode because I'm doing the stuff in Florida, which I'm taking on uh, money for, and then um, we have the campground up north, and then just another property that's just too complimentary for us not to buy or not right. to at least try to buy. Right. Came up, wasn't yeah. even on the radar, but you know, we got an offer in on it. So you know how it is. You're in real estate full time. <laughs> opportunities come up, and then you know your capital spread in so yeah. many different deals type of thing. That's what we're we're finding ourselves. Oh yeah, in, right? I don't like that broke feeling. Like it's just like oh, it's <laughs> everywhere. It's all out. I'm like yeah, there's wealth there, but it's not in my pocket. <laughs> right, right, and, yeah. and they're planting seeds ultimately yeah and some turn quicker than other ones other ones take a lot longer yeah we have one project where it's gone through the city multiple multiple times you know yeah and even when they're they've given us the support and they say we're gonna go for it then they kind of come back with some other change that sort of thing where's where is that that the california that's in california yeah, we somewhere? found the difference yeah. there's a huge difference between california and arizona yeah for a lot of that kind of red tape the challenges we are facing. And I like to keep an ear for that kind of thing because generally what I hear from most people is, you know, once you go through, like here in Canada, you go through that pre-consultation process where you ask, what would it take if I wanted to build this? And then they tell you everything that they would expect. Right. Um, a lot of the feedback I get from people is that it's pretty consistent what they what they ultimately require uh, with, with what they said they were going to require. Yeah. I have an exception to that, though. I, I remember when I was doing, I was trying to build a duplex, t- tear down a house and build a duplex, and I had to go through site plan. So I don't recommend doing that for just a duplex. It's a pain. Uh, but uh, they were they gave me their list, and then when we were almost at site plan approval, like I was checking in. I'm like, hey, are we there yet? Are we going to have site plan approval? Like, yeah, it should be next week. And then they came back at me. They're like, ah, uh, yeah, we want you to make this blend in with the neighborhood more. So we want you to change your whole design and you know give it a veranda and all this i'm like yeah i can't do that i don't have space for that (laughs) (laughs) and uh it then blew up the whole deal blew up but um that so there can be those little wrenches thrown in absolutely and what um, we also found in california city by city it's different yeah so you know we've got projects in probably five six different cities and each one operate completely different some are very you know very not honestly easy going but yeah. As you mentioned, what they say is what's going to happen, and yeah. you can kind of be a bit more predictable. Other ones, they say, tell you one thing, and then you know it constantly changes yeah. or do this change, and then it's like one year goes by, two years go mm-hmm. by. So now you're losing a lot of time, and, and that's so expensive a lot of time, expensive. especially if you're you know if you're borrowing money. Um, yeah, you, you don't want to get into that, yeah. and this is why I think it's so critical to like kind of look around. Where are you trying to develop? Like one of my coaching students, he uh, he was developing in in Windsor. And, you know, he's asking me about it. I'm like, well, you're going to want to speak with the city. Uh, you know, here are some angles. He's like, well, I think I can do this. Um, and it required a zoning change, a spot zoning change, which I would never have tried that. 
But he's like, I see another guy who just did it around the corner. Mm. Well, that's something, right? If they're right. allowing some other guy to do it, they'll probably let you yeah, do the it. President. Yeah, the president. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas other cities are like, we'll never do a spot rezone. Mm. Like, we're not just going to rezone that lot. We'll rezone the neighborhood. Right. But that's a much bigger process. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Yeah. Also, in terms of land development, I think yeah. one bit of advice is like, you'd be very careful if you'll be leveraging or financing land, you know, because there's mm-hmm. a... Und- that's that unpredictability of when you actually get oh, yeah. things approved. Yeah. I mean, if you can go in and own the land free and clear, it just allows yeah. you that flexibility and, you know, not that, you know, just to service the debt mm-hmm. on something like that, it can really hang you type of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it takes a certain type of personality to even think about that. Like if you're going to, if you're going to leverage the land, like you've got to have cash flow coming in other places. Yes. You got to be willing, right? Yeah. Like ask yourself that question. Am I willing to sit on this and pay for it for five to 10 years if it comes down to that? Exactly. And if the answer is no, then, you know, maybe yeah. reconsider or, yeah. or look at a different way of doing it or bring in an equity partner, somebody that is yep. willing. Yeah. Um, the more like I, people I interview and time I've been in this space is everything comes down to how. Like, how are you going to do it? It's not a if you can or if you can. Mm-hmm. And odds are, even with these municipalities, when they push back, it's not like they're saying no. Right. They're just telling you, oh, here's how we'd need to see that done. Right. You just don't want to go into it. and where No, it's like it doesn't pencil out yeah. profit-wise to even do that. Yeah. And that's when you have to still say. All of a sudden that. they say, oh, yeah, just do this thing. And it costs $400,000 and it kills right. your profit or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, well, we won't do that. <laughs> yeah. Or we want homes only 1,300 square feet on one yeah. acres. It's like. That's not going to work. Yeah. With 10 houses here, it should be like 100. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it just comes down to pushing your business downhill, right? You don't want to push your business uphill. Right. Like if you pick a battle with the city that has notorious for giving people a hard time, why do that? Yeah. Why not go to the place where it's just easy to do it? Yeah. So would you say that your business is more uh, development or more uh, like rental portfolio building? Uh, I would say it's a good balance. Like I would say 50-50. 50-50. Yeah. I mean, again, the development stuff is longer play. Mm-hmm. you know stuff that we started like three years ago so a lot of times you're just waiting you know yeah. you've outsourced it to an engineering firm and then you're waiting or you're waiting for the city to so get it's feedback. still relatively new then for you yes because these take a while to play out right yeah so in the meantime i'm yeah. doing like active you know burrs or yeah. know, repositioning some of the assets already own uh, partnering and, and mm-hmm. so forth uh and yeah and where uh like the partners that you're finding where are they coming from both U.S. and Canada. Yeah. I think over the last year, significant, more than ever in the past 10 years since I've been in the States, I've seen the interest level for Canadians to invest in the U.S. Has oh, just yeah. gotten, you know, you've probably seen it. Oh, yeah. Tremendously high, you know. It's super high. And I think, yeah, ever since the um, the first lockdowns and people realized what Canada's all about, yeah. it really gave some people some motivation to uh, not be here. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> are moving, some, too. It's not just about investing. Yeah. It's about moving, too. Yeah. I mean, I saw Rob Brake, who's been on this show, like, immediately, like, pick up and i have not talked to him since he did this but he's been in costa rica like full-time for like three years there you go. <laughs> like the yeah. lockdown started and he was out and I, i'm pretty sure he's still he's still a realtor <laughs> in like durham area just operating remote which right. is he's challenging you for distance yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> but you're not a cool. practicing uh, realtor here though are you not no i'm not i'm not because you need to be a resident right yeah. but i'm saying more and more the world can be, you, you can you, you can create systems and processes and utilize you know different people to work more and more virtual, mm-hmm. you know, or remote. Yeah. And and that's what I've discovered. Even out being out here now, I'm doing transactions in California and yeah. I, haven't been, I haven't been there in three weeks type of thing, right? Yeah, you can do things remote. I mean, yeah. it all comes down to your comfort level, your experience level, to know that you can handle things when they happen and yes. know that your instinct is not going to be to run over to the property, which I mean, when is it ever? When does that ever really help anything? <laughs> Minimum. Very, very, very rare. rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's something yeah, over time you figure out, right? Like for me, I noticed that progression is just like I suddenly got slowly and slow, very slowly got more and more irritated to go to site, you know, if it was building something or whatever. I just right. started to realize, hey, I really don't enjoy doing that. I'm going to just right. delegate that or I'm going to hire somebody that, that can do that. And then I just phased myself out and didn't need to do yeah. that anymore. Beautiful. And I think that's important. Identifying what part of the process you like or you enjoy. Yeah. You know, the more you figure that part out, yeah. then the more you're able to do this for longer term. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you like, if you enjoy people or raising capital yeah. or networking, bringing in partners or sourcing a deal, focus yeah. on that. I, I do actually like going to, to sites. I just don't like going there because somebody's asking me for something. I like no. to just go there and I'm like, <laughs> I want to look at it all, solve a problem that no one asked me to solve. Um, <laughs> engineering, I, I love like figuring out how we're going to 
you know, retrofit this house and make this all work at a conceptual right. level and then talk to the engineers and say, hey, what if we did this? And they're like, hey, yeah, that'll work. I'm like, okay, good. I didn't didn't get the degree for it, but at least I can help. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that's yeah. a lot of times, yeah. even my father-in-law will leverage a lot of his experience. It's yeah. like, all right, let's design this thing preliminary before we hand it yeah. off to an engineer. Because a lot of times they may over-engineer it. Oh yeah, over-engineering, calling for materials that, that are just a huge waste of money. Yes. Like I see that kind of thing all the time and look over your drawings and yeah, that's why I, I tell people like try and work with an investor-focused designer if yes. you're doing stuff because... Yes. Hopefully they get that OSB is cheaper than plywood. I mean, that's just one example. Mm -hmm. Like whatever you put on there, when you send that to the hardware store, they give you exactly what was spec'd. They right. won't substitute. So right. I've never tried yeah. this, but what about bringing on a partner who's an engineer, like potentially giving them some equity, is sure. incentivizing them to make this as as good as possible, as cheap as possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, see, engineers don't always know cheap though. Like unless yeah. they unless they're investors themselves, right? They figured out a way to to make it cheaper and. Uh, Stuff we're actually looking at potentially bringing on a partner that's handy and like good with trailer acquisition and repair mm. and like renovation because that's not that's kind of a bit of a weakness for our campground. Um, I wouldn't mind giving up a little bit of equity to somebody who could just you know stock our camp with really like workable, nice trailers, right? Because yeah, it's you know, you can buy the brand new ones, but they're so expensive, and we don't really want that, we want unique, right? And if you just hire people, yeah. they're just gonna overbill, overcharge, yeah, they might overbill or not deliver on time. But if you bring somebody in as equity and and you can get along with them, like right. now all of a sudden they have a vested interest to, yes, to make it work, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's uh, I mean, it's something to think about. Like, I generally been the guy that didn't want to give up equity, but now I'm more like, and I have said this many times, like, strategically, I would happily give up equity. To the right people, I'm I'm game for that yeah. because I don't look at it as one deal. I mean, there's gonna be other deals. Yeah, in the like future. let's grow big. Yeah. yeah, and I I think that more and more now, like let's let's go country club money. You know, like <laughs> go to the like people it. that got the Ferraris and stuff. Yeah. Do you do you do that? Like, is that one of your sources of, of finding investors? Like going to like, events yeah. and networking. Like yeah. we just had two day boot camp here in Hamilton, and there were some investors there. You know. Yeah. And uh, I had someone just tell me, hey, this was totally worth it for me to come here yeah. even though i'm already a member i already know this stuff but i just sat down beside a guy telling me about a project i'm doing he's gonna put in 100 grand on my nice. next deal so it was like there this trip cost me five grand this this, this was all worth it yeah right and that's what i tend to find happening you know that all these relationships you go there either you know during, during the day you're all kind of like you know learning mm -hmm. and stuff but then there's break free there's a networking opportunity in the evening everyone goes out for dinner and that's where really kind of get to know people even better yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like so critical with those events, like the people you meet there, because the uh, the price of admission is a filter yes. for the room. It filters yes. out those who are not that serious. Yeah. I'm not saying some of the people who are serious don't come, but of course, like you get a lot of serious people in those rooms. Yeah, and then yeah, from there, investors, what have you. Um, for me, I've been thinking, you know, like there's a car club here in town. They got a bunch of like McLarens and Ferraris. I'm like, there's probably some people worth knowing in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, joining that car club might not be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, I know I spoke with Mark Loeffler uh, about one of his partners. He met him through his um, membership right. at the Golf and Country Club in Hamilton. There you go. Uh, so a tournament. And you know, that's like a multi, multi-million dollar investor, like somebody who's put in millions uh, yep. to deals. Like, I mean, you think about go where the people are. Yes, like that's. I think there's a certain portion of that You're right. going where the people are. I mean, obviously, events is one, but I think some of the best potential investors are are your professionals that don't have that much time mm -hmm. um, available to them. Like they want to generate a nice return, and I'm sure they wouldn't even mind bragging about it at their country club. But they just don't really have the time to to go out and learn how to burr or sure. to learn how to develop like yep. you know, your doctors, your lawyers, your, yes. you know, professionals, various different people in white collar jobs. Yes. And the question is, how do you reach those people? Yeah. You got to find those environments. I mean, it yeah. comes down to in anything in life. If you yeah. want something, where are those people? You know, yeah. like even just talk outside of real estate, you know, you want to find a quality person to marry. Well, yeah. where are they going to be? Most <laughs> likely not the bars. And not stuff, in the right? bar. So you got to think outside the box. Yeah. Where would they be? Would they be at the library? Would they be at church? Would they be at, you know, certain, um, you know, I mean, gallery, art galleries? I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? If I was single, I'd probably be going to church to, yeah. to, to meet with someone <laughs> in these days. I mean, honestly, uh, that's where I found my wife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in my early 30s and yeah. boom, through someone contact, you know, met, met her and away we go. Now I'm in California, Brilliant. you know? Brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, you did the immigration uh, the easy way, as you said. It. <laughs> it really is the easy way. Yeah, that's a whole other kind yeah. of realm with the visas and trying to move to the U.S. I yeah. Mean, there's a process, but the easiest way is marrying an American. Yeah. Then that's uh, not <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, I think you might upset some government officials if you uh, <laughs> if you put that out there. Um, but yeah, of, of course it is easy. I, I mean, everything I've done, I don't have any sort of visa in the U.S. at the at the moment. I did start that process and then just put it on pause. You, it's don't, not you don't actually need it. No, only yeah. if you plan to actually move there. That's really yeah. the reason. I mean, that's yeah. the only real reason you would want to go through that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if you want to be there for more than six months at a time, that's yeah. the, the big thing, right? Otherwise, you got to check out and come back in and they may not let you back in. Right. Whereas if you got the visa, then you just keep rolling in or stay in. Yeah, you yeah. definitely have to be careful crossing mm -hmm. the borders. You know, if they're going to be tracking you and seeing you going back and forth multiple times, yeah. you're going to start raising flags. Like, what, what's, what do you do? What's your business here? Like, yeah, and if, you if you're that, like, yeah. well, I'm going to check on properties, now it becomes more of an active business. Yeah. Then you're really going to need some sort of work visa. Yeah. Um, like for me, like I, I want to be down there in the winters, but I don't need a visa for that. And I can look over on stuff like that's yeah. very normal. Last few years we've been down, mm -hmm. you know, up to three and a half months. Yeah. As little as like four weeks. So, yeah, I think like that kind of thing works for a lot of Canadians. I think still having the visa is probably something they'll still probably eventually get moving again. Um, like it's not a bad thing to have because then that one day you could just switch your residency. You can still come to Canada. Absolutely. And then it just flips. Now you won't be yeah. in Canada for more than six months, which, I mean, what do we got? We got June, July, August, and September. That's <laughs> pretty much good after that. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. the weather. The weather, I mean, yeah. I mean it, it says something where if you can live somewhere where you have very predictable yeah. weather and it's relatively warm, I mean, it does help. You got a bit of a tan. like Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, this, this actual season has been yeah. significantly wet. Like we in got California, more rain in yeah. California, which is actually a good thing because it's been in a drought for like almost 10 years. Yeah. So it's been good. But weather-wise, I mean, I haven't gone to the beach probably in five months because oh, really? of that. It's been oh, raining okay. consistently. But generally speaking, a much more uh, enjoyable oh, yes. climate. I mean, always outdoors. Always outdoors, either, you know, going hiking. There's a lot yeah. of trails, um, you know, going to the beach or in, in the mountains. I mean, we have, we have it all in California. That's the beauty yeah. about it. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, I need to get like a snowmobile or something to because uh, there's obviously a way to make living up here right. better. <laughs> <laughs> like we got a pretty nice like property, beautiful view. It's just, you know, snow like with my son, for instance, we want to just get him outside. Right. And, you know, when you have to like get a snowsuit on yeah. and stuff, it's a little <laughs> bit of a deterrent. Like, yes. if we're being honest. Right. Yeah. So that's that's obviously the trick here. But, I, you know, I think it, a lot of what we do here on the show is is talking about lifestyle design and and real estate is not the end it's a means to an end right and it's it's a tool to get you where you want to go so if i think a lot of people want that flexibility to be able to spend time um down south during the winter this is a tool to do that and absolutely and that, yeah. you made a good point like it's something that allows flexibility because mm -hmm. a lot of times like i mean most people haven't dialed in every single mm -hmm. thing that they want, you know, how they want their lives to be. But real mm -hmm. estate allows that flexibility to figure that out. Oh, you know, yeah. and, and you're, you're, it may change, you know, like whatever you want today yeah. may change tomorrow type of thing. But with real estate, you know, whether I'm being a realtor or investor, working on birds or development, I mean, I don't have to necessarily be fixed in one place yeah. for a long period of time. So I'm, I'm, I'm here in Canada, but I could still do my realtor business back in California. Or I go to California, I could still purchase yeah. and acquire property in Canada and, and, and utilize, you know, yeah. contractors and whatnot. You yeah, I don't do know. This. I don't know any Americans buying Canadian property. I'm sure it happens. I, actually, yeah, I guess. I mean, now with, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the stoppage, with Trudeau kind of not allowing foreign investors to come the next yeah. two years, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's going to make less, less make so. it more difficult. Yeah. I mean, I guess Brock Rogerson's still probably doing some stuff. Are you, do you know Brock? I don't. Yeah, he's uh, living in California as well. Similar scenario. Okay. Actually, I think he's uh, not in California right now. He was, but um, he'll be going back down. Um, yeah, but very similar story. You know, was Canadian. I think he still is technically Canadian, mm -hmm. not American yet. Married an American. <laughs> Moved similar. down there. There you go. Moved down there, but still has a big portfolio in Canada. Yeah. But generally speaking, that's not really the path that we see. We see far more Canadians going south. But Right. But there's something to say yeah. going the opposite way. Well, because... 
I th- I like that you you know how to invest here. You have the teams here, and if you see a deal here and it makes sense, you you go where the opportunity is, right? And you have a team that really opens that opportunity up for you, right? And then and then for investors. So now that Empire Wealth Genius and we're expanding and bring on, you know, I starting to get radars of some U.S. You know, mm. investors and just had a couple individuals who got a portfolio of about eighteen hundred units see the value. They're like, mm. oh wow, there's a bunch of Canadians who are. In, uh, real estate investors interested in investing in the U.S., maybe we'll join and potentially raise capital mm-hmm. through it. But now it may open up, it may spark them to see potential opportunity in Canada. Because with yeah. the dollar exchange, you know, the U.S. dollar was a lot yeah. further in Canada. Oh, yeah. So if there's an opportunity in Canada, they may explore it now. 100%. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, it's just diversifying. Yeah, I got a little up there. Yep. A little down here, you know, and it, it kind of works. Um, so Wealth Genius, that's that's your education. Yes. Uh, I think Alfonso founded that. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah and he's been on the, the show, Alfonso Quadra, maybe about 20, 30 episodes back. Nice. Um, okay. So you guys are both sort of doing the real estate education circuit together. Correct. Correct. So basically partnered with him about a year ago. And um, since that time, their group's gone from about 120 members to over 600 members. Um, across Canada. Cool. Now we're bringing on U.S. members. So it's really been great. It's an educational platform, also networking, and yeah. you, just seeing the growth and just seeing the interaction between yeah. members, partnerships happening, people raising capital oh, yeah. through the group. It's amazing. It's going to be a good room to be in. Yeah. Like any any room that, you know, there's a there's a filter with, the, you know, the, the price to enter. I think those are those are rooms that are naturally yeah. nice to be in yeah. for an serious, investor. Serious people. Serious people, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Thomas, anything else you wanted to share? Uh, bits of wisdom, a story I didn't ask you about. Um, <laughs> you tell me. Um, no, I mean, again, I've transitioned now. In, I'm in the U.S., mainly focused in the U.S. Uh, I'm all about helping people understand that process. Because there are, I would say a good 80 to 90% is very similar to Canada. But there are some elements that you need to be aware of. And there are some differences between a Canadian wanting to invest in the U.S., so, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm all about sharing that either through social media or some formalized coaching and stuff. But uh, it's just a pleasure to see more Canadians now wanting to come to the U.S. and be able to uh, just kind of see, you know, the steps and the portfolios are creating. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, I mean, uh, in terms of like reaching out to me, social media, Instagram is probably the easiest way. Okay. You know, my, my handle is real Thomas Larini. But, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here again, Andrew. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Glad we could do it face to face. We'd never actually met until you spoke <laughs> at the Mastermind. Yes. We did the digital virtual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great to uh, to finally connect, and we'll uh, we'll stay in touch, and probably have you back to speak when we do another one of these masterminds if it, if it can work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Thomas. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines, where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you.